Good morning. I'm Tim Rogers, one of the pastors. I want to join my voice in, with Joel's and Greg's and welcoming you to Grace Point Church this morning. We've got an amazing worship team. We're grateful for all the volunteers who pull this off every week. They have given so much during their week to make this happen. Um, so we're grateful for all of you and the beautiful um, environment you create for us. Thank you for doing that and for all the volunteers who make this morning happen. We're grateful for those who count money and those who are in the nursery and those who are ushering and all those who've taught Sunday school this morning and have prepped and planned and done what they've done. We're grateful. We couldn't be here without you. This morning we're in part 14 of 15 of a series called These Words. These words are the words of Jesus in which he's speaking on the Sermon on the Mount and telling people basically you want to build a house in your life, you want to build a future, a plan, a life for yourself, and you want to build that house on the rock and not the sand. You want it to last when the storms of life come. And so if you're going to do that, I want you to build your house on the rock. And to do that, you not only hear my words, but you do my words. And in this 15-part series now, we've heard Jesus say a lot of things, and this morning what he's going to say to us is hard. This morning, what he's going to say to us is going to be different than what he said before. And perhaps the best way that I can explain it is that this morning is not about three ways to improve this in your life or that in your life or five things you can do to change this. You're not going to walk out of here with a bookmark to remind you about something about God. I'm not going to give you three steps to do anything by the time I'm done. Today is one of those messages where it's a plant the flag kind of message. To put it in other language, some of you may be familiar with the acronym DTR. Do you know what that is? A kind of conversation, a define the relationship conversation, where you're starting to kind of like somebody, a guy or a girl, and they're like, you know, it's time that we define the relationship. And most guys are like, seriously? <laughs> and the ladies just can't wait to define the relationship. What are we really doing? Who are we? Are we dating? Are we moving on? What are we doing? Just friends? You know, let's define the relationship. Okay, today is like that. Today is a define the relationship kind of morning. And I risked this morning, and I'll tell you the tension I was living in as I knew this message was coming now for, for months, I knew it was coming, but for weeks, and now this week in particular, I've been thinking about it for, for a, lot, a lot of time this week. I run the risk of offending some of you, okay? I, I run the risk of some of you leaving here and feeling like this, this is too harsh and this is not for me. And I also run the risk of appeasing some of you, to saying, boy, he was too easy and he should have been harder. So this morning, I'm just going to lead into it with what I have as truthful as I can be and as gracious as I can be, in balance. Trying to give to you what I think are Jesus' words that are, that are very strong and very powerful this morning. And maybe the best way to kind of set this up is to take you back to when I was a kid in church life. And that is, when I was a kid, I, to be honest, I think many of you know this, I got bored a lot in church. I would sit in church in Barbados and I would draw... Um, battleships blowing things up all the time. I would draw airplanes destroying stuff. I just like to do that as a boy. I don't know if, if, if you can relate to that or not. But I'll tell you what, um, one story, at least the one story, though, that you could tell me as a kid who, who liked to be active, I loved to play sports, I loved to, to um, be engaged with the world, and I struggled just sitting there and learning to be nice. Come on, I mean, give me something more. What's going to blow up this morning? I want to know. So with this story, this one story you could always get me on as a kid, and that is the story of Samson. Isn't that awesome? You know the story of Samson, right? This guy, this kid who was born to a, to a mom who could not have kids until an angel of the Lord visits her and says, you can have a son. And, 
And Samson is born, he's a wild man, right? He never cuts his hair, and he, uh, he, he eats differently. He's not allowed to eat certain things, and he is a strong man. He's the kind of man who tore a lion to pieces with his hands when he was on the way down to visit this woman that he wanted to marry. He just tore, tore this lion apart, and as a boy, I'm like, yeah, now we're talking enough of the be nice stuff. Let's talk about the killing stuff. And here's Samson. He comes in and destroys this lion. He comes back later and he reaches into the carcass and pulls honey out of that and, and eats that. Seriously? Like, think about that. A carcass of a lion with all kinds of stuff in there. And here's this man. I don't care. I'm going to take that honey. I'm a man of the land. He goes down and you, you know some of the story, right? He's going to marry this woman and he tells the Philistines a riddle. And they, they just lay into her, to lean into her to tell me the answer to the riddle. And finally on day seven, she finally presses into Samson so much. Oh, Samson, you must not love me. Wah, 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 wah. You haven't told me the answer to the riddle. Wah, 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 wah. So finally he tells her the answer. And then she tells the people the answer to the riddle. So now Samson owes them 30 pieces of clothing, essentially. 30, whatever, you know, wardrobes. Samson gets irate that they lean into her that way. So he's like, all right, fine. I'll hold up my end of the deal. I'll just kill 30 of your men and give you their clothes. Yeah, Samson. I mean, to me, it's like, go Samson, right? And then, you know, I mean, it keeps going like that. He grabs all these foxes and ties the foxes together and their tails together, puts a, 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 lights their tails on fire, essentially, torches, sends them through the fields, burns the fields of the Philistines. Amazing. They come to get him, and the, the Israelites tie him up for the Philistines on this day when they came to find him because the Israelites were afraid, and the Philistines come to them and say, you give us Samson, and we'll leave you alone. We just want Samson. So they tie him up. They walk him to the Philistines, and then he breaks out of these ropes that he has and takes the jawbone of a donkey and kills a thousand of the Philistines in that moment. I'm like, man, Samson, you're awesome. Forget being nice. Let's kill animals. Let's, you know, kill people we don't like. Like, go, Samson. Samson's story really kind of riveted me. It was, it was very interesting. Now, later on, I realized Samson had a great flaw in his character, right? He had a great flaw in his character, and that is he had this, this weak spot for Philistine women which ultimately became his demise. And Delilah, if you know the story, Delilah finally leaned into him, and the fourth time Delilah asked the question, tell me the secret of your great strength. The fourth time he finally told her, shave my head and my strength will be gone. Which is why I'm not as strong as Samson, by the way. <laughs> I'm just saying, there might be some parallels to that. So the Philistines are upon them, and he come, the Philistines come and they take him away and they gouge out, think about that, they gouge out his eyes and Samson's eyes are gone that's got to be pleasant, right? And then he is slaving away in Philistine captivity forever, just grinding, going around. You have the picture of going around this kind of millstone. He's just kind of pushing that around and around and around forever. And the text says, and his hair began to grow. I can't relate to that part, but I can relate to it. His hair began to grow. And so this allusion to something's coming, something's coming. Finally, the Philistines have this big gathering, and they're, they're having a party of parties, and they're honoring their God, and they, they say, hey, look, our God brought us Samson, the man who used to be the great thorn in the flesh to us. Bring him out. Let him entertain us. So Samson comes out, and he's brought out, and he asks the servant, the, the servant there, put me by the pillars that I may lean against him. And then if you know the story, he says, God, one more time, one more time, give me the strength to kill as many in my death as I ever have in my life. And he pushes the pillars, these pillars of this temple, of which 3,000 people were on top. And thousands more, who knows how many, were inside. And he pushes it. 
And you know the story. He killed more in his death as that the whole temple came down. And Samson died this way as a judge of Israel. The reason I tell you this is because I want you to keep this image in mind of, of Samson on those pillars. Because here's the metaphor for this morning, that you and I grow up with pillars that support our worldview. We grow up with pillars that support how we think and how we operate. And this morning, we're going to push on those pillars in your life. Imagine, if you would, in your heart you have who knows how many little buildings in your heart that you go to for making decisions. One of those buildings is a building of fear. I don't know how many of you have lost weight over the last two and a half years. If I would have asked you five years ago, do you think you can lose 30 pounds, 50 pounds, 100 pounds? Can you do that? I said, no, I can't. Some of you have run distances you've never run before. If I would have asked you three years ago, could you do that? You would have said, no, I can't. Some of you have started companies and, and have been more successful than you ever thought you could be. And if I would have asked you at the beginning of that, do you think I, you can do it? You're like, I don't think I can be quite that successful. And you step into a building of fear in which you say, you're asking me, can I do it? I don't think I can. And then you do it. And then you do it and you come back and you realize that fear, the pillars of fear in my life were pushed out. That building is gone. Boom. Gone. The fear is gone. Someone, somehow, something pushed those pillars, and I'm glad it's gone. For some of us, we have a building, for all of us, we have this building called pride that we're living sometimes, right? That is an opportunity comes along, and we don't even think about it. We just think, sure, I can do that. I want to do that. Why wouldn't I want to do that? Why wouldn't I want to take that business opportunity? Why wouldn't I want to date that person? Why wouldn't I want to add more to my plate here? Why wouldn't I want to say no to that, to say yes to this, because after all, it's about me? Don't we all do that, where we say, yeah, it can be about me, and I don't need anybody else. I can do that. And then we get into our lives, and the stress pushes so hard that something cracks in our marriage, something cracks in our dating relationship, something cracks in our finances, something cracks in our business. And we look back and we say, when I was in that building and making that decision, I looked through the building of pride, and it's now fallen. Something is pushed against that, and that part of me is kind of fallen. Some of us look through the building of love and trust, and we say, man, I'm dating somebody, I'm married to somebody, I'm just in love with them. There is no one else like them. No one. Man, this is amazing. God has led me to this person. They're absolutely amazing. They've enthralled me. I'm enthralled by them. And then after about a year, they come to you and they say, hey, I think we should just be friends. They push against this building, so to speak, in your heart, and it collapses and you struggle to trust and love again. Now, this morning, here's what I want to say. What we're going to push against this morning is going to be stronger for some than others. Not every building in your heart is as strong as others. We can all relate to the fact that you have first impressions of somebody. First impressions, you oh boy, they're just, they're smug and disinterested in me. Later you realize they had a stomach ache and they're about to throw up. Oh, okay. It really wasn't what I thought, so I'll get rid of that and, and I can see them correctly. But other things are much stronger and harder to push against. For some of us, the authority of the Bible is God's word. We're not going to allow that pillar to be pushed in our life. For some of us, the love of our spouse 
There's nothing that's going to push that building down in my life. Nothing. And these are good things. Now, for us this morning as a congregation of various demographics, some young, some older, this, the pillar, okay, of how you've grown up, what I'm going to push against this morning is stronger for the younger generation than the older generation. If you're in your, if you're less than 34 and a half, I don't know, okay, if you're in your, if you're in your 30s, maybe mid-30s and below, this is going to feel harder for you than if, let's say, you're above that. Let's say you're in your late 40s, 50s, 60s or above. This is, might be, if you're in that age range, a little older age range, just a little older, notice the word little, all right? This is going to feel a little more normal for you. But if you're younger, this is going to feel like I'm pushing. And I'll tell you why, because what I'm pushing against this morning, what Jesus is pushing against is a postmodern worldview. We're pushing against relativity and pluralism. We're pushing against this sense that there is no such thing as truth that is absolute and truth that stands beyond my assessment of it. We're pushing against the belief that right and wrong exist. We're pushing against the the sense that good and evil exist. We're going to push against the sense that heaven and hell exist. And we're going to try to affirm all of those because here's what a postmodern world tells you. Relativity. That is, your view of good and evil, right and wrong, is relative to the world in which you're in. Pluralism. There's other systems, other ways that are equally as authoritative as the one that you're espousing. What right do you have to be so intolerant of others who don't believe like you? We're going to give you these pillars, and if you've grown up in the public school system, if you've grown up in our culture by and large, you feel this from your friends. You are taught this by your teachers. You have this in the workplace. This view of tolerance, of plurality, of relativity, as a part of the pillars of how you see the world. This is the world of post-modernity. And this is the world, if you're a younger generation, this is the world in which you were born into. These pillars were not erected by those who lived in a modern generation. The concept of absolute truth? Absolutely. No problem with that. So for some of our older generation, this to you might feel like a breath of fresh air. For those in a younger generation, you might feel, there's some stress on this issue. But this is what Jesus brings to us, not me. My message might be different if I had my choice, but it's not. My message is Jesus's this morning. So I invite you to find his words. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 7 this morning. Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one near you. It's page 939 or 788. And as Pastor Joel said, that that Bible is a gift to you if you don't have one. Page 939 or 788, Matthew chapter 7. Up until this point, Jesus has given us things that have been hard to do and hard to understand. He's given us ideals like don't ever be angry and don't lust, always trust, don't worry. These are hard things to do. This morning is categorically different, though. It's not just like, oh, that's a good idea, because most all of us would say what we've heard so far in the Sermon on the Mount, good ideas, good ideas. I'm not going to, it's a good idea to stay married. It's a good idea not to be angry, good idea to trust, good idea not to worry. These are good ideas. I'm just bad at doing them, but they're good ideas. 
this morning is different. You might look at this again if you're in a younger generation and say, I don't know if that's a good idea. Like, this sounds and feels so different than what I experience in my world. This just feels categorically different. And it is categorically different. And it's different for our generation than it would have been for the hearers when Jesus was speaking at the time in the Sermon on the Mount. And so he says here in verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Okay, this is the first of three metaphors. There's three sections this morning, verses 13 and 14 of the first section. Notice what Jesus says there. Okay? Begins the verse. He begins and he says, okay, everybody, here's verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate. Notice his invitation first is to enter. Come, come, enter, enter. It's a warmth of invitation. Come, I, I want you to come. I want you to come. Come through the narrow gate. Notice the description, really simple. I'm not going to do a lot of heavy explaining of the text this morning because quite honestly, it's very simple. Enter through the gate that is narrow, okay? For wide is the gate, and what's the next word? Broad is the road that leads to mistakes. Broad is the road that leads to bad ideas. Broad is the road that leads to another way of thinking. Well, now what's, broad is the road that leads to what? Let's say that again. Broad is the road that leads to what? Destruction. Enter through the narrow gate for, for wide, wide, wide is the gate. And broad is the road that leads to Destruction. And you know what that means. Destruction. 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 But small is the gate, verse 14, and narrow the road that leads to what? What? Life. Life. And most find it. Come on now. And most people who are good enough find it. Most people who come to church frequently enough find it. And most people, if they're moral and they take care of my kids, find it. And only, only a few, only a few find it. Only a few find it. Narrow leads to life. Broad, wide leads to destruction. The choice is to go narrow. You end up on, by default, the wide road. The movement here has to be a choice to enter the narrow gate, to find life compared to destruction. And so at the very beginning, we see Jesus setting out, there is such a thing as life and death. There is such a thing and he's insinuating here, and our theology plays this out further, there is such a thing then as heaven and hell. There is such a thing as good and evil, right and wrong. Those exist as categories, as truth. 
And Jesus' invitation is enter, enter, enter. Enter the narrow gate. Well, certainly it has to get easier, right? Let's watch what he says next. Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit cuts it, is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Okay, again, there are what kind of prophets? False. You can't have falsehood unless you have truthhood. You have to have truth for falsehood to exist. Again, there's wrong teaching. A category exists. Let me tell you, just because somebody published it, just because somebody blogs about it, just because you find it somewhere in print, doesn't mean, regardless of intentions, that what you read or understand is going to be, by default, true. Wide, broad is the way that leads to destruction. Watch out for, be discerning, for false prophets who are dressed like good prophets, who are wolves in sheep's clothing. This is where we get that image. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. And you will know them by their fruit. By their fruit. He doesn't tell us more than that. And I would like to know, Jesus, tell me exactly what you mean by that. What is their fruit? He doesn't tell us there. He continues. Okay, maybe he gets a little easier. He doesn't get any easier. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. What's the next word, verse 22? Many. Many will say to me, on that day. In other words, there's a day particular day he has in mind, a day of judgment. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and go on mission trips and teach Sunday school class? And did we not blog? And did we not serve our community? And did we not love our spouse and stay married our whole life? And did we not do the moral things that we were supposed to do? And we performed many miracles. Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. But, but, but Lord, I did good things. I mean, I, I tried. I mean, I, everyone else was getting divorced and I didn't. I mean... I mean, I came to church, I'm telling you, I was at church, I was at church, a lot. And listen, I, I, I served, I gave money to the cause. I sacrificed. Come, Lord, Lord, you're, you're my, I, I knew who you were, I knew who you were. I told people who you were. And Jesus says, many, many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And I will say, I never knew 
you. And that word for new means a relationship. I never had a relationship with you. And I don't know if you can feel it yet, but I feel it. Is this push against the worldview in which we live right now that says, ah, but there's more than one way to God. And calling something evil or wrong categorically feels evil and wrong. And holding such a strong position on truth is old school. It's ancient. We live in a more enlightened world now. And I just want to say, if, if we say that we are following Jesus, listen, this, this Jesus died for this. He walked into Jerusalem knowing that he was going to be crucified. His body was going to be torn apart, nailed to a cross, and he walked into it. And these are his convictions. This is what he went to the cross for. So if we're going to say, I believe in Jesus, I follow him, we follow all of him. All of what he brings to the table. Whether I like it or not, whether I want to resist it or not, I follow him because he died for this truth. And I may not like it, I may wish it was different, but this is Jesus' words. And this is why the crowd responds, as we see next week, with amazement. The authority that he has, because he doesn't teach like anybody else. Some of us think, and we've been raised to think, that believing is good enough. That I just say, I believe in God, and that's good enough. And listen, I want to show you a couple of things. Or I want to show you, because some of you are sitting here this morning, and your life, you've been trying to be good enough, to be honest, and, and you know it, and, and, and others around you know it. You know that there's something missing in your heart. You know that you're not, you don't have that passion for your Savior because you don't know Him in that relational way. That you've been trying to be moral and good and you know it, and you've been trying to be religious and you know it. And here's the deal. James 2.19 says this. You believe that there is one God. Good. Good. This is a statement that's positive. Good. And, and I don't know, if we could take a poll this morning or those listening online later and you could raise your hand if I said, do you believe there is one God? And, and we raise our hand and I would say, good, good for you, good, good, good. James says this. And then if you know the text, it goes on to say this, even the demons believe that and shudder. Great, you believe in God, good. You tell people, I believe in God, I go to church. Great, then we're just about the same as demons. Where does that get you? Where does that get me? Even the demons believe this and shudder. What is Jesus asking for here? He's asking for more than trying. He's asking for more than morality. He's asking for more than church attendance. Listen, church attendance is not going to save you. Being religious is not going to save you or me. It's this following after our Savior. That is different. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus says this. He said to them all, if anyone would come after me and check out what comes next, he must, read that with me, he must what? Deny himself and keep going and, and 
For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for me will save it. That Jesus is laying it out here very honestly, okay? If you want to save your life, lose it for me. There is such a thing as truth and error, of good and bad, of heaven and hell. And narrow, small is the gate that leads to life. I don't know why. I wish I could tell you why. I don't know why. That just is. Now here's where I struggle, okay? And here's where some of you may struggle. I've struggled with people being angry about this. People being um, uh, kind of um, arrogant about this. Like, I've got the corner on this and you don't. Like, I've, I've got the truth and you don't. I've got the way to life and you don't. And that is the worst thing in the world we could have. The man who is giving this to us, the, the God-man who is speaking this to us, what is his model? He came to seek and save the lost. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. John 3.16 we know, John 3.17 goes on to say, that Jesus did not, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But that through his son they might believe, they might have a life, might be saved. Okay, and here's the important thing. For those of you this morning who are maybe in a younger generation, you're kind of like, ah, I'm pushing, I'm kind of pushing against relativity and pluralism. And man, I just got to kind of like everybody and be tolerant and not try to offend anybody by suggesting that there'd be such a thing as absolute truth. Here's the deal. This reality exists of absolute truth, whether I like it or not. But my methodology, the way that I come to you, is in the same spirit as Jesus came to us. That I come to you, not to lord it over you, to say there is one way, repent and come. But I come to you to serve you in mercy and compassion because there is one way. I come the way our Savior came, the incarnation. I come and enter your world of brokenness because there is one way. I do not come with arrogance and pride and an attitude of lording it over. No, no, no. I come because I love you where you are. And so here's what we see. I'm going to use two words I haven't used yet. I think many of you know what they are. I'm going to use the word inclusive and exclusive. Inclusive means it's wide open. Okay? Wide open. Everybody come. Exclusive, I think you know what that means. Only a few. So here's the balance. Jesus offers an inclusive invitation. In one sense, we say that Christianity is inclusive in this, in this manner. That the invitation to come is inclusive. Everybody can come. Whosoever will may come. Everybody may come. This is not true for all the world religions, by the way. This is not true in Hinduism. There is a caste system. Not everybody can come through that. This is not true in Scientology, where you must pay for training in Scientology. This is not true in Islam, where some of the tenets of Islam will require you, if you are ill, um, if you are older and more frail, you cannot accomplish some of the things that are required in the Muslim faith. 
the invitation to Christianity is inclusive. Everybody come. Jesus offers an inclusive invitation to an exclusive salvation. He offers an inclusive invitation to an exclusive salvation. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Acts 4.12 says, there's no other name under heaven by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus. Everyone may come to an exclusive salvation. I may not like that. I may push against that. I may wish it were more relative. I may wish that people who I think may never have heard would come, and I may wish that other people... Jesus died for this. And if I'm saying I follow him, I follow him in this. Narrow is the way, and wide is the way. Those two realities exist. Here's what I want to give to you this morning. Two things. Number one, I want to give to you very practically, um, allow you to have a little piece of paper uh, on your way out, there is, on the Welcome Center, there will be a, um, this thing. It's called the Philosophy of Mission and Evangelism. Um, this is put together by the leadership team at Grace Point and Keystone. This is designed for partner churches in Together 2013 or any future Together initiatives. If you're part of our congregation, you know, and if you're not, then I'm going to inform you now, that we, we, we serve our community intentionally in an initiative called Together, and then you fill in the year, Together 2012, Together 2013 in a variety of ways, from cleaning up roads to serving at the park to doing meals to renovating buildings to mentoring and all kinds of things. In the Together initiatives, what we've tried to do between Keystone and Grace Point is put together a philosophy of how are we going to do this? What's our approach going to be to people? This is a two-part document, okay? The first half, essentially, where you could fold the paper in half, that first half is about our theological positions. What motivates us? What do we believe? The second part is really about how are we going to do this? What is our means or method for doing this? I just want to read a couple of uh, quotes there to you on the the bottom in terms of how do we live among people when we have an exclusive message in a world that wants to push against that. How do we do it? Here's what we say. For those who count themselves followers of Jesus, we believe we should model the approach of God. We believe we should enter the broken world of those around us and experience with them their joys, sorrows, pain, and hope. We believe our neighbors are our peers. You hear that? We believe our neighbors are our peers and we will treat them with dignity. Goes on. We believe we are most closely aligned to the heart of God when we, without judgment, pretense, or agenda, choose to love all people well, regardless of differences. I'm going to read this final piece. We expect people of partner churches to hunker down for the long haul, urging their people to listen to the stories of people's lives and discover how they can best help. Our approach to this exclusive message, to this absolute truth, is not to lord it over anybody. We're not Jesus. We don't judge the eternal souls of mankind. That is not our position. Our position is to represent him as he did in the incarnation, to serve because there is one way we love well. 
Because there is one way, we serve well. Because there is one way, we discern well. And we help each other in that process. We do not, we do not, we do not. In arrogance, stand here in the safety of a church building and say, this is the way, you come in here when you're ready. No, 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 no. It's so far from the heart of God. We serve with loving kindness while holding to these truths. There is life. There is destruction. And I may not like that, but it is true. Therefore, I'm going to serve you well. This morning, you may have been here, and you may be in church all your life. You may have just been coming the past couple of weeks or months. You're like, I don't know where I stand. If you could honestly, if you could have the time in your life to assess where you stand, you're like, I don't know. And what if I'm going to be one of those people who says, Lord, Lord, and he says, I never knew you. What do I do? What do I do? How do I know where I stand? What do I do with that? And here's what we know from the Scriptures. That we are all made in the image of God. Profoundly important people because of that. And yet we've all sinned. We've made the choice to sin. We're born as sinners. And God sent Jesus to die on the cross that he would take that sin from us. And that not just saying that that sounds true, but living that, believing that, and allowing your, the fruit of your life to show that that decision is true. To follow Jesus with my life is what we talk about with following Jesus. Even the demons say, I believe God, and they shudder. And Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, follow me. Follow me. Let the fruit of your life show that you are following me and who I am. And if you don't know if you're there, this is where we come in. Pastor Joel and I, be glad, be glad to have the conversation with you. If you're unsure, if you just want to kick it around, this is where we say, come, let's talk. Jesus offers an inclusive invitation to an exclusive salvation. And we serve well and love well because of that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the time this morning to reflect in your word, to reflect on your truth, even truth that we may not like, truth that may um, really cut this culture against the grain and cause us to, uh, to be considered bigoted in our ideology or to be considered... Um, narrow in our worldview, just to be considered maybe old school and ancient, and so that's so old and removed from where we are now. Be more enlightened. And we today have kind of planted a flag and said, this is what Jesus says about himself, and therefore what we believe, because we follow him. And it's hard, it is hard to stand on your word when it's not what I would prefer to see happen. It's hard to acknowledge that every step I'm going to take is going to be a step that I follow after you. But yet, Lord, as this song is going to sing to us now, as we're going to sing and, and repeat the words of the song, that every day, Lord, as the chorus goes, every day I'll learn to stand on your word. And I pray that I might come to know you more 
that you would guide me in every step that I take, and every day I can be your light unto the world, every day. Carrying this idea of following, denying myself, of taking up my cross, and every day showing to this world the light in a way that's oriented to serve and care and love one another. Because we're all made in your image, no matter what we believe. No matter what. Give us courage where we need to step, Father. I pray this in Jesus' name.